Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I'm so glad that it's Friday because it's one day closer to Sunday. And it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, and I hope that you have made plans this weekend to worship. So come on and worship this weekend wherever God has called you to worship. Be in your church, support your pastor. And, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time putting that sermon together. I know sometimes when you listen to the pastor's sermon, it may not sound like he put a whole lot of time into it, but I can tell you he did. And uh, I can tell you he prays for you. I can tell you that he loves you and he cares deeply about you. And, uh, you know, it affects him when you're not there on Sunday. Uh, He realizes that you're not there on Sunday. And he misses you when you're not there. So come on, let's get to church on Sunday. Let's celebrate Christ and the resurrection. Let's encourage the saints and lift one another up. So if you're looking for a place to uh, come and worship, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church, 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock this Sunday. Love to have you come. Well, on this Friday broadcast, I want to look at the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. And I want you to know, you can be rich. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Ephesians today, but I want to give you the background of the book of Ephesians by talking about life in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was somewhat like life in America today. The city of Ephesus was a port city with a population of about 350,000 people. Now, Ephesus was called the place where the east meets the west. The city enjoyed Greek culture, was governed by the Romans. The people in the city lived in luxury. They were filled with extravagance, but they were also filled with a lot of immorality. In Paul's day, the biggest attraction to the city was the Temple of Diana. That's where the goddess Arminus allegedly descended from the sky and landed in the middle of this huge temple. Worshippers would gather together and they would perform the most immodest and immoral acts in that temple. They actually had temple prostitutes. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So Ephesus was not exactly an easy place to start a church. Not the way that most American churches get started anyway. But Paul, on his third missionary journey, stops in Ephesus, and he remains in Ephesus for three years, and he builds a large and a thriving congregation. This church is sending out missionaries, and they're starting churches in city after city after city. Some of these city names may be recognized by you. For example, Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Colossae are all part of the churches that were started by the church of Ephesus. Well, how did the church of Ephesus get started? Well, I'm glad you asked. On his way home from his second missionary journey, Paul stopped at Ephesus, and he spends time with his friends Aquila and Priscilla. And he spends a little more time at that synagogue making contacts and friendly connections with rabbis. They were all impressed with Paul. And so they said, Paul... Uh, Why don't you stay? He declines and he says, no, no, no. I've got to get back to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, but I'll be back. And on his third missionary journey, a man of his word, he comes back to Ephesus. That city experienced a spiritual awakening. In fact, the whole city is impacted, but not everybody was happy. Uh, Maybe you have noticed this. 
Uh, maybe you've even noticed this in your church. Somebody gets saved and baptized and added to the church, and some people aren't happy about that. Yeah, you know, even the best of churches sometimes have this problem, but the city of Ephesus was a little bit uh, unsettled because so many people were following the gospel. Within the first three months, the Jewish leaders turned hostile toward Paul. So Paul quit, and he goes back to Jerusalem. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what Paul did. Paul was undaunted. He changes his focus of evangelism from the Jews who were rejecting the gospel to the Gentiles, and the church grows. Now, let me give you a little hint about sharing the gospel. If one person says no to the gospel, don't let that get the best of you. Share the gospel with somebody else. There is the law of sharing the gospel. Somebody did a study and they said, if you will share the gospel 10 times, one person will respond. So if you will share the gospel 20 times, two people will respond. Well, we discover a spiritual awakening is taking place that is so amazing that a bonfire is built. And this bonfire is built so that it can burn all of their cult books and, and all their magic books and they're thrown in this large fire. In fact, Luke writes about this revival, and he writes about it in the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Let me just read this to you so you can get a background as to what is happening in Ephesus. Acts 19, 17. When this became known to the Jews' honor, many of those who believed openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 dramacus. In this way, the word of God spread widely and it grew in power. So here we see that Paul was probably put in prison while he was at Ephesus. Uh, maybe he got some politicians ticked off at him and so they incarcerated him. Uh, he made some friends in Ephesus, but he also made a lot of enemies, uh, not only within uh, the greater community, but specifically within the, the religious community. And many of the Jews hated him. There was one powerful businessman, Demetrius, that was there. Now, the Bible talks about two Demetrius. One was good and one was not so good. This one is not good. He was a silversmith, and he really hated Paul. And the reason he hated Paul is because people were getting saved, and this guy was losing business. His business was making idols at the Temple of Diana. And as a result of the revival that is taking place in Ephesus, he is losing business, and he's not happy about it. So what does he do? He starts a riot. I mean, after all, as you think about what's happening, uh, he's going to ruin my business. And so I'm going to destroy, I'm going to riot because my business is being hit. Well, Paul wanted to stay and, and his companions urged him to, to move on uh, with the job of planting other churches. But Paul stays and he is involved in seeing this great church of Ephesus grow and thrive. So on this third missionary journey, Paul spends some time in a Roman prison. Paul spends some time in Ephesus starting this church, and he sends some elders from the church of Ephesus, and they go out and they start other churches, and they discover that the revival fires are spreading. And today we are, a, uh, are blessed to be recipients of this little epistle to the Ephesian believers. As we look at the book of Ephesians, I want to give you a big overview of the book. It can basically be divided up into two 
major parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the Christian and his blessings. Chapters 4 through 6 are the Christians and his behavior. Uh, So as we look at this major division, we begin with the blessings that we have because we have received God's grace. And then we discover how our behavior should change because of the gospel. So let's spend a few minutes looking at some major points as to what is happening here when when we are recipients of the gospel. So the first point is that this is a letter from Paul, chosen by God, by the will of God, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. The second point that we see is that Paul is writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ. So the first point is that Paul is is chosen to do this. He's right smack dab in the middle of God's will to be an apostle, and he's writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, the ones who are faithful followers of Christ. And then he says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace. That's an amazing word, grace. Twelve times Paul uses that word grace in this short epistle. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. So here's the major brunt of what Paul is trying to instruct us. He says, all are offered salvation, all are given the opportunity to receive Christ, but not everyone accepts it. And as we look at this, Paul says that we are a chosen people, or Peter says this rather, 1 Peter 2, 9, that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So Paul talks about the doctrine of election. God has chosen us. Now, I believe that if you've received Christ, you are part of God's elect. The doctrine of election is not a doctrine of condemnation. It's a doctrine of blessing. For example, God doesn't elect us to go to hell. God only elects us to be chosen to receive God's riches, God's grace. So if you're listening to this message today and the Spirit of God is convicting you, you respond to the gospel, you're part of God's elect. Now, we don't know who is and who isn't. I like what one old preacher of yesteryear says, I wish I knew who the elect were. I wish God would paint a yellow stripe on the back of all the elect, and that way I just focus on sharing the gospel with those who are elect. But God doesn't do that. We assume that all are elect because we don't know who God has chosen. As we think about this, God has done some wonderful things in this church of Ephesus. So Paul is trying to get their blessings in order so they understand what God has done for them so that their behavior will be changed. Now, as we think about what Paul is doing here, Paul talks about God having a place for us in the family of God. God has a position for us. The place is in the family of God. That's the will of God for you right now. If you're not part of the family of God, God's will for your life is that you be part of the family of God. Jesus put it this way, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares, Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The position that we have, in Paul's case, was to be an apostle. He was set apart to be an apostle. Now, now I want you to know that that God is always hiring. The church is his place where he's wanting to hire people. You may not get paid, but there's a job for you to do. There's an opportunity for you to use your gifts. You don't have to be on the payroll, but we do have a position for you. 
in the church of God. Somebody wrote in a cover letter who was trying to get a job. I thought this was kind of humorous. And a cover letter said this, here are my qualifications for you to overlook. Please call me after 5.30 because I am self-employed and my employer does not know I'm looking for another job. Somebody else wrote, my goal is to be a meteorologist. But since I have no training in meteorology, I suppose I should just try being a stockbroker. Somebody else wrote, I demand a salary commensurate with my expensive experience. And a resume, somebody wrote, I was working for my mom until she decided to move. Somebody wrote it on their marital status. Single, unmarried, unengaged, uninvolved, no commitments. Somebody had a note in their resume. And the note says, please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hunting. I have never quit a job. Somebody else wrote, their marital status was often and their children was various. Somebody put the reason that they left their last job is that they insisted that all employees get to work at 8.45 a.m. every morning. I couldn't work under such difficult circumstances. Unbelievable when you think about it. I want you to know that God has a position for you. God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he has chosen. That's why it's so important to be involved in the church. God has a place for you. There is a place for your gift to be used within the church. The second thing I want to look at today is answering the question of who's getting the richest blessings. Jesus said in Matthew 22, that's what I mean when I say many get invited, but only a few make it. That's the message translation. So who gets the richest blessing? We discover some things. It's that those who get the richest blessings are those with that grit, uh, those that, that, I'm not talking about grits like for breakfast that you have. I'm talking about that greatest amount of determination. Paul says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. And he says, I'm concerning uh, the sin in your lives. He says, they're, they're not weaknesses. They are, in fact, strongholds that you have in your life. And as long as we call them a weakness, we will never do anything about them. Paul says, you got to have a little grit and determination. God has blessed you and given you the richest blessings that you could possibly have. In the first century, when a young Jewish man reached the age to be married, his family selected an appropriate wife for him. The young man and his father would meet this young woman and her father to negotiate the bride price. The figurative cost of, of replacing a daughter the price was usually very high. With negotiations complete, the custom was for the young man's father to pour a a cup of wine and hand it to his son. His son would turn to the young woman, lift the cup, and hold it out to her, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. In other words, I love you. I'll give my life for you. Will you marry me? Now, the the young woman at this point would have a choice. She could take the cup and return it and say no, or she could answer without saying a word. By drinking the cup, that was her way of saying, I accept your offer. I give you my life in response. You see, that's exactly what God does for us. This is a picture of communion. Jesus says, I have offered my blood spilled for you. I offer it to you. 
Will you accept it? When we think about those who have that grit and that determination, they are the ones who have been recipients of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's also those who have that insight. You know, really, insight is that, that determination to be, to be faithful. Who are the faithful followers of Jesus? Eugene Peterson gives a definition of, of holiness, and he says, Holiness is a long obedience in the same direction, that is the right direction. And he writes this, It is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on into the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for that patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in which earlier Christians called holiness. I want you to know that we are told in God's word that we have been made free from sin. We are to become servants of God. And as a servant of God, you have that fruit of holiness. We are told to work at living at peace with everyone and to work at living a, a holy life, Hebrews twelve fourteen. Because if you're not holy, you will never see the Lord. So we've talked about determination and having that grit. We've talked about that determination in being holy. There's also that determination in being faithful. That is having influence over the lives of others. In Galatians chapter 5, it says that God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful. And because we belong to Christ, we have killed our selfish desires. But don't be conceited or make others jealous by claiming to be better than they are. You see, when we think about the gifts that God has given us, there are different kind of spiritual gifts but they come from the same Spirit. The Spirit is the source of them all. When we think about the gifts that God has given us, God has called each and every one of us to be gracious. And as we take this graciousness and we couple it with the gift that God has given us, He gives us a supernatural ability to be a blessing to others. Graciousness is that availability to be coupled with loving others, even those who are unlovely. So many times we have a, a slipping of stability and we drift towards sin. In their devotional guide, Experiencing God Day by Day, Henry and Richard Blackerby asked the question, Are you satisfied with merely knowing the acts of God? Or do you also want to know His ways? This is a question that requires an answer, and the answer that we give determines the depth and the stability of our relationship with God. Well, Paul gives us some concluding reminders about God's grace. And as we look at these reminders about God's grace, now the first question we ask is, who gets the glory? God is the source of grace, 
So all praise should go to him, to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul drives that point home. What has been given to us? Every spiritual blessing. Paul reminds us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Paul says it is so great that it is unfathomable the riches that we have in Christ. We can kind of get a a, a glimpse of the, the grace of Christ, but it's really beyond our understanding. And why do we get it? Because we're united with Christ. Because we are united with him. Former pastor Eric Daniel Harris, 37, pleaded guilty to the November 1996 arson that burned down the Kentucky Missionary Baptist Church in Saline County, Arkansas. According to a federal prosecutor, Harris said he did it because there was a division among church members and they needed a project to unify them. That will unify a church. I think they would be very unified in wanting to get rid of Pastor Harris. Can you think about the weird things that we do to bring about unity? During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could gain control of them. Among the Brethren Church, about half of them complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, somebody died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the two brethren groups, and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat for several days, and each person spent time in prayer. Examining his own hearts in the light of Christ's command that they should come together. You know, Francis Schaeffer, who told of this incident, asked a friend who was there, What did you do then? This friend replied, We were just one, he replied, as they confessed their hostility and their bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolve their hatred. You see, when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Well, today, if you listen to this broadcast, maybe you have been out of sorts. Uh, maybe your life has been out of balance. Maybe you have been separated with brothers and sisters in Christ. Why don't you reunite yourself with the family of God? I know it takes a a heavy dose of humility and a lot of courage to go back to a place that you have abandoned. We're studying the prodigal son on Sunday mornings. I imagine it took an awful lot of eating humble pie for that younger son to come to his senses and to go back to his father. But as a result of his humility, he was welcomed back into the family. As you read that story of the prodigal son, you discover that that son that came home never finished his statements of repentance. The father saw him a far way, and he ran and he embraced his son, and he welcomed him home. The son never gave a full explanation as to why he took the rut of a prodigal. The son welcomed him home. The father saw him from a far way, and he went and he embraced him and he welcomed him back. 
As we look at the story of the prodigal son, we love that story of that son coming home, especially if we tend to be the prodigal. But many people listening today are probably not the younger brother, but they're the older brother. Filled with resentment, outside of the home of the father, looking in with a critical spirit. I want to encourage you to swallow that pride. Come on back. You need the family of God as much as the family of God needs you. Listen, you're never going to find a a perfect church. You're never going to find a church that has it all together. Why? Because the church is comprised of a bunch of sinners who are saved by God's grace. The church is nothing more than a called out group of assembly of people who have been born again. Perfect people need not apply because perfect people don't need the church. The church is comprised of people that fall short of the glory of God, but have been forgiven and have received the grace of God, and they pass that grace along. So Lord, as we conclude the broadcast today, I ask that you fill us with your spirit today. Help us not to be overcome with bitterness. May all praise be given to you, God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. May we humbly walk before you. May we follow through with the commands that are given in this great book of Ephesians. May we fill with joy today. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word today. We love you because you first loved us. May we go in your peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.